Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring indie and small press authors with host Emma Polova. I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavan and The Lowell Ledger. Today, I will be chatting with author Mackenzie Floor about her book, The Right of Wands. Mackenzie will announce the details of her book giveaway of The Right of Wands at the end of the interview. Mackenzie is a neurodivergent writer and the multi-award winning author of the young adult fantasy series, The Right of Wands, currently being adapted for TV. Hello, Mackenzie. How are you on this hot summer day? Yeah, it's definitely a hot one. Woo! Do you like I'm doing it? good, though. <laughs> I love it. I'm loving it. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's talk about your book, The Right of Wands. Tell us all about the protagonist, Nierta McKinnon. Yes. Which right. is awesome. You got this... You got the pronunciation. I'm very impressed. Most people mispronounce his name. So <laughs> I like the name, by the way. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank he you. Come up with that name. He told me that himself. That's what was his name was. I was calling him Gerard, and he would not speak to me. I mean, this character, I for the writer wands, it took me 20 years to write the first book because I didn't know who Mirta was. I was just calling him Gerard. That he was someone in the background, you know. Somebody kind of like, I guess, kind of like Baltimore doing somebody doing this whole thing for him. And then suddenly one day I realized I have a dead book. And I'm like, you know what? This is a great concept. This has been fun. Uh, I guess this is the end. And then I started crying because for me, I, I don't cry when I'm sad. I cry when I get angry or frustrated. So I started crying. And the next thing is I hear Mirta. He said, my name is Myrta, and that's not how it happened. I like that. <laughs> so it took 20 years for this to develop? Yeah, I, I, I kind of blame it partially on Matt Smith, who was, uh, at the time, he was playing the 11th Doctor from Doctor Who, because Myrta has his face and voice. So apparently, I had to meet Matt in real life in order for that, whatever it is in my brain that wasn't ticking right to come together. Okay, so what is he like? What is Mirka like now that we got his name? <laughs> he's a very fun character. He's, uh, he's a neurodivergent like myself. And he is, how do I want to describe him? Because there's two different ways to describe him for how he is in the screenplay versus how he is in the book. I guess the best, the best way would be is describing him in the book, which he is at the beginning of the series. He is a 12-year-old boy who wants to be a wizard, but he doesn't have his powers. So in order to gain them, he has to go through what's called the right of one ceremony, which is a little bit like Christmas Carol. He sees a glimpse of his past, present, and future. Now this, for those I really, for here, tell me why we wibbly wobbly. I really did create this before. Go ahead. You might see where this is going. You know, Mirta also just happens to his struggle is he also has to be a play. And I did write this series right before, of course, COVID actually happened. The first book was published in 2017. And the weirdest thing is the Shreya has some similarities to COVID. So people are like, uh, Mackenzie, can you write something a little bit happier next time? <laughs> but it kind of to go back to Mirta himself. He is a character who doesn't really know where he's supposed, what he's supposed to do. 
He knows that he's supposed to destroy this plague somehow, but how is he supposed to do that? It's supposed to kill everybody, and he hasn't even touched a potion. So for his sake, he doesn't really have that full confidence in himself. He thinks that maybe something might be wrong, or maybe this future that he's seen in the right ones is uh, maybe it's something that's manipulated to force him to actually do this when he's not supposed to do that. So he's a little bit tossed as himself. And then you've got this relationship with his dad, whose dad's also an apothecarist, which that is a whole nother story because his father is, is actually holding two huge secrets about his family that really can impact Mirta and him getting this future to actually happen. But one of the things is they have this kind of in-off relationship where he admires his dad, but to tell the truth, his dad's not really that great of a dad. He's more, he's similar to how people were for me, where, well, you're not good enough, or this can't happen, or this is the reason you can't do this or that. And just having all those naysayers that constantly around you there, just like, you know, putting you down, saying that you can't do this, or you're not going to become this, you're never going to do anything. <laughs> I it's like, my dad had this, I tell this story to inspiring authors who may be like me where they didn't know what to do with their book or they have this idea and they don't really know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. In my case, I was in an airport. I was actually coming back from Disney World and my dad and I were waiting for an airplane to take us back to Ohio, which is where we were living at the time. I was sitting in one area and across from me, directly across from me was a dad and a young child. And the child was probably about my age, I'm guessing. I was a teen at this time. Mm -hmm. And the dad took interest in what I was doing. He's like, what are you, are you writing something? What, what are you writing about? So I, I told him about the right of wands. My dad's like, <laughs> yeah, she's writing a story, but she'll never finish it. Oh, come on. You have that kind of a negative support? Yeah, my, my parents are absolutely as big as MAGA as could be. I'm the complete opposite. I'm as Democrat as Bernie Sanders, probably a little bit more in, independent. And actually, So yeah, things are very, very interesting. I'm an only child too. So can you imagine growing up with having a, a support system that's just like, well, you can't do this. I mean, even getting the screenplay getting to actually become a TV series, my publisher, my publisher goes, you have a snowball chance in the hell of ever getting anything produced. Well, <laughs> I'm used to it. I'm used to all this negativity and people don't realize it's that. Overcome that because I know a lot of our listeners face that same problem. How did yeah. you overcome that? Share that with us. It's really hard sometimes. A lot of it is getting that inner person or inner voice inside of you to mm -hmm. shut down because that inner voice will tell me all this, like, you're not good enough. You're, you're a failure. You're not going to do this or your family's right. You're not going to, you're going to be like your aunt and you're just going to be on welfare all your life and living <laughs> off the government and blah, 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 blah. I mean, just the ridiculous stuff you could think of. <laughs> My inner voice will tell me those things. And it's gotten to the point because when I grew up Catholic and I went to a Catholic school that was very much against the whole idea of being with the Eucharist. So they were, you are a demon child. Me, I was a devil's child because I was left-handed. I got beat because I was left-handed. I was separated from my friends, made to play by myself because 
I was left-handed and my friends, I had two friends that liked to kind of fight over who was going to play with me. So a lot of it to get, it's learning how to talk the inner voice down to know that you are important. There's a story in everybody. You yes. are meant to tell whatever that story yes. is. And no matter what it is, you've got to do it. And yes. a lot of people, unfortunately, don't because we get, what is the stat now? I think it's like, what, like 89% of people die before they actually get their story out. So mm -hmm. it's, even though yeah. we hear all the time about authors, mm -hmm. wrote this and wrote this or wrote that, and you, we hear about how eBooks and books in general are so flooded, there's still so many people out there who haven't written that book that they're right. supposed to do. They have to do it. We have yeah. to encourage them. That's Absolutely. why we have this podcast. Okay, yeah. back to Mierta. <laughs> so what have we found? Any spoilers? What kind of happens to him? What difficulties does he encounter? Well, the very first off in the very first book, which uh, some of my readers actually uh, did not like that I did this, I killed his dad. His dad dies from the shred before Mirta is able to actually save him. And this is something that Yurta learns through his dad, that his dad was actually a wizard who lost his abilities. And he didn't really know why. And that was one of the secrets that was held from him is he did not know that his dad was very much similar to him. So the reason why Mortain, which is Mirta's dad, tried very hard to discourage Mirta from becoming a wizard and following the path he did because he was afraid that he would end up in the same place that he was, where he loses his powers, because in the, the, the right of wands, you can lose your powers. And if you lose your powers, you lose your powers for good. You cannot get them back. It's like they have to go through this right of aggregation where it literally feels like your life is being sucked out of you. So it mm -hmm. really psychologically hurts anybody who goes through the right of aggregation. And really, uh, you could say in a way, it really psychologically really messes them up and so okay. Morte is trying to do the right thing and he didn't know so as he's dying he finally tells Mirta yeah I'm a Julia I lost my powers uh but he doesn't tell him exactly the reason why he still keeps that a secret of what actually happened to mm -hmm. find out that there's a big reason why he was hiding it, it there's a section of of witches that are in the kingdom of Araceli. This is a magical kingdom. So specifically is ruled by a dragon named Lord Cato. And one of the things that Cato does is he runs the rite of wand ceremony as well as the rite of aggregation. He is the one who decides whether or not that you are going to be found guilty or whatever the situation is there. And it turns out there's a certain area, kind of like a hospital, of witches and warlocks who specialized in healing magic. And it mm -hmm. turns out that the head of this particular hospital called Pobelia, uh, Martin was still actually responsible for that person's death. And it was complete accident. It was Mirta with a young kid. He was more like a teenager messing around with the dark arts, thinking, you know, he can, he's, he actually, and his brother once also saw the Shreya. So he thought that he could maybe cheat a bit and use the dark arts to come up with a cure for the Shreya, but unfortunately it backfired and it ended up causing a huge accident that caused his monster to be killed. So right. that's the whole, that whole storyline behind that. So that's a big thing. Uh, another spoiler, this is actually a big thing that happens is that we learned that Lachlan, which is 
you're his younger brother. It's not actually his brother. And uh, I'll leave that for the readers to find out. Yeah. Who is he? Don't tell us too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What inspired this book? That's a good question. I would say probably The Lord of the Rings. I was very much into Tolkien, also into my writing in general has a very heavy influence of European storytelling. I look at uh, Kantara Miura from Berserk, who unfortunately passed, I believe it was last year or the year before. I The years kind of pushed together now since with COVID. And then, of course, Tolkien. And the writer was actually the how I came up with the whole idea of the right of wands was actually, I was going to, ironically, this was back in 2002, I want to say. It was after the last movie of the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings had come out. And mm -hmm. in Indiana, they were going to have a museum where they were going to have all the exhibits of the costumes mm -hmm. and some of the things that were going to use from the set. And going there, it was like I went past, I like looking at signs for some reason when I'm in the car. I saw some sign, but I couldn't tell you what it said. And it was like, shoo, here's your story. All right. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to write this? Well, the the first book took me about 20 years, as I mentioned. 20 because, years, yeah. the first one. Yeah. What about the other ones in the series? The second one took me about a year, simply because it's a lot smaller. It's a bridge book, which uh, for those listening who not, may not be familiar with that term, that means that it isn't necessarily a sequel. It's more of something that fits in with the very first book, which okay. in my case, there's a, a gap in time. Mm -hmm. The second book tells what happened during that time. I oh, had, okay. I had a totally different idea what I was going to do with the second book, but we're just like, nope, we're going to tell that story, and this is why. And then after I learned the story of that particular story with the Sulpeus, which is a mythological big monster, scary monster, he has to go up against and help the kingdom of Vandalay, which is the kingdom of men. That's where. Mirta's dad originally was a court physician, so he has to help in that while trying to figure out what the heck's going to happen with the Shreya and everything else that's going on. Besides, we have also a queen that is being manipulative too, who has her own set of ideas and she wants to use Mirta to overthrow the kingdom. So there were a lot of challenges in writing this. Oh yeah, there's there is every single character has at least three, I would say at least three layers to them. So that, that's not just a character that's very just one-sided. There's multiple layers and all the storylines, they all fit together. Whereas at first it may seem like they're they don't make necessarily sense together, but once the whole story comes together, then it makes sense that everything it's kind of like in a way. Game of Thrones and the way the storyline building world building is is where everybody knows everybody mm -hmm. and there's some big thing that they all have to defeat together. Okay. What do you feel sets you apart from other authors in your genre? Ooh, that's a tough one because I'll admit I don't really read a lot of stuff that's in my genre, which I write particularly fantasy with an Irish mythology thrown into it. Uh -huh. So I don't read a lot of that simply because I don't want any outside influence because yeah. one of the things that European storytelling is we believe that circumstances can help this 
can happen to somebody due to outside circumstances, which causes somebody to behave or change in a certain way. So because of that, I don't want that to influence my writing. However, I would probably say that what's unique would be my writer one ceremony. That's what a lot of people say that they found was unique about it is because the witches and warlocks are not born with their powers. They have to earn them. So it doesn't okay. make sense. Just mm -hmm. because you're born to somebody in a family that might be witches and warlocks, it doesn't mean that you necessarily are. You have a choice. You have to either go to the right of wand ceremony and succeed, or you can decide that you don't want that and want to be just an ordinary person and become a Majulia. You have that choice. So it's it, it's not type forced upon, but yet you do have people like Orland's dad, for example, who thinks Majulians are horrible people and that they should all be exterminated because... He doesn't believe in people that are different. Okay. <laughs> so what are the major takeaways from the right of wands? Takeaways as in like a, a theme? Yeah. What, what do you feel or what kind of a feedback are you getting in your reviews that what have people enjoyed about um, your A lot book? of people actually really like the storyline between Myrta and Orlin. They, they're a dual protagonist team mm -hmm. and they both people have it's been very interesting it's either people are in team orleans or team Myrta, and it's very interesting how it is because we've got orleans who's the soothsayer who's kind of like a merlin type of character merlin obi-wan kenobi type of character uh -huh. who's an advisor and then you've got Myrta, who's kind of just in the middle gets plopped in the middle of everything even knowing he necessarily is the one that's driving the story it's actually everything that's going on, on the outside that's driving the story so i would say that that is that's one of the things a lot of people really like Myrta in general how he behaves because being that neurodivergent to somebody who isn't may not understand the logical thinking that sometimes we react a little bit differently than somebody who isn't to understand right. why like I could be like be like Emma I need to step away I can't tell you why but I have to step away you know and that's a good example of something that might happen to someone and people like well what, what the heck happened you know is it and it just because it could be something that was said or something you'd be like, oh, here's a trigger here. And uh, well, we need to step back here and just compose ourselves so that we can continue going whatever it is that was. So it, you might have that or you might have uh, Mirta, an example, does has outbursts. He has complete big outbursts of rage where he isn't necessarily hurting anybody, but he's expressing himself. He seems like he's throwing like an adult tantrum, which is not actually true. It's just like he doesn't know how to express himself in a way that somebody who isn't a neurodivergent would understand. Okay, okay, dude. Okay, let's just lower that down a little bit. <laughs> okay, so what do you feel you have learned about yourself from writing this book? I honestly that there's a little bit of myself in both of my main protagonist characters. Mm -hmm. I originally, I did not actually know that. In fact, I didn't even know that I was neurodivergent until a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with, uh, with PTSD and ADPD, which stands for avoided, uh, avoidant personality disorder, which people looking at me wouldn't even know it. I do complete opposites of what normally I'm somebody with that type of condition would do with a severe depression in which that makes it even more challenging and going back to saying, how do you overcome and 
getting those voices in your head to calm down because the person that has to be avoided personality disorder, they run. They don't want to get involved in stuff. They will run and hide and not want to do anything because they really think they really do think that they are a failure and that there's absolutely nothing that anybody can say that will change that. That it's just that it's in their mind and it's set. And you have to learn like cognitive behavioral therapy to be able to get that to be reworded. So if somebody comes up and says, Mackenzie, we have a snowball chance in hell of ever getting this thing produced. I'll be like, well, you know what? I'm going to get it produced. We're going to get it produced. I'll show you how to get it produced. You've motivated me. So I have to twist whatever somebody says and make it so it's a positive for me. What do you feel you did right in this first book, in The Right of Wands? Like, what did you get perfectly right? What are you proud of that you hit right on the spot? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I would say the storyline itself. I started that whole the the high the idea of the world building. I would say I've got that right. I've got my wizard language correct. I've got Orlin. He actually speaks phonetically in the book. So somebody who and I did that on purpose because I wanted some. Even knowing this is something that authors are told over and over and over again don't do that I did it because for me I wanted the character to be authentic so that mm -hmm. when someone's reading him they actually can hear his very heavy Scottish accent being it's all written out phonetically so it's the same thing that uh uh Irvine Welsh did <laughs> he's the one who did transporting that he did that I actually use that same exact formula that he did to put that for Orlin so mm -hmm. I would say I've got those things right but I've also learned that I did a lot of things wrong and I didn't realize that until I started doing the screenplay. <laughs> that was my next question. What would you have done differently? <laughs> uh, I definitely would have done things much differently than I did. I actually would like to rewrite the very first book, even though it's good the way it is, because I would like to write more of Kavanaugh, Ezekiel Kavanaugh, who is Myrta's monster I would actually like to show a little bit more of that relationship that is mm -hmm. kind of in this in the book but he's he comes in and he comes out and you see, you don't see really much of the impact of what happened between him and Myrta to know that there is actually something quite significant and that he is actually using Myrta to try to get back his reputation because he did something and didn't get credit for it Instead, mm -hmm. just dad got the credit for it. So okay. he has this kind of a little bit of a jealousy animosity and he wants, he's going to use Myrta to do that. And you don't get to see that really in the book that, 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 mm -hmm. kind of, that that's going on with Kavanaugh. He's just like, oh, now well, here he comes, does what he does. And he leaves. <laughs> so that's definitely something I would have done. Another thing I would have done that I have done differently in the, in the, the screenplay, which I want to do this in the book is the Shreya. I actually gave the Shreya a physical form instead of just being a disease. I ended up creating, I used a form of Nordic mythology. Uh, there was a story of, it, it comes from the Netherlands, I believe, about PESTA, which stands for pestilence. And it was believed back, and this is like my book, it takes place in Ireland in the 13th century. So back then in the Netherlands, they believed that the Black Plague was actually a physical person. And they named it, uh, they named it Pesta. And Pesta was an old lady that had black boils. She's, um, 
about 70 or so, and she isn't necessarily seen by everybody. She will carry a rake or a broom, and there's also an army of skeletons that she will lead with her. If mm -hmm. it turns out that you see her and she ends up rake, taking her broom and brooming, well, you better run because you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> there's nothing, mm -hmm. you're dead. But if you see the rake, you're going to be spared and your family will be spared. So, and one of the stories that was passed down is a, about a man, I'm going to say he was a fisherman, I want to say. Mm -hmm. He's in a boat and he is in the boat and he realizes that there's somebody in the boat with him and that this person that has this cloak over them. And then he realizes it's Pesta. And he says to Pesta, he goes, will you please spare me? And she mm -hmm. goes, no, I, I can't spare your life. However, I will make your death quick. And so it turns out that he gets off the boat, comes back home, goes inside, goes to bed, and dies. Oh. So, <laughs> so I, I created a version of Pesta using the Shreyas, since the Shreyas is also mm -hmm. based off the Black Flag, and gave it a whole nother new layer to it, so that this Pesta is very scary. Instead of oh, just like <laughs> You're making me afraid. I'm <laughs> okay, what is the funniest or the most bizarre thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person author event? Either oh. funny or bizarre or something that you will never forget. Oh, yeah, there's definitely something I would never forget. I, am I allowed to talk about stuff that's not necessarily children appropriate to us? No. <laughs> Let's just keep it either funny or interesting, or you can give it a twist, but we're going to keep it clean. Yeah, and that was the most bizarre thing. And I was at Who North America, this is a couple of years ago. This is a Doctor Who museum slash door. And a gentleman was there who was a vendor. He was like, balloon, he makes balloons. And he gave me something that was supposed to be a wand. And I'll leave it at there. <laughs> okay, let's leave it at <laughs> What were his intentions, this balloon gentleman? He, he was just I, apparently he wanted me to feel like I was well, I had something besides my sonic screwdriver, but I, I do actually have a wand that was made by the people that did the Harry Potter films. They actually created a wand for me that's on the, actually on the uh, cover of my book. It's okay, same, I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same. That wand. is cool. That is yeah. cool. And I actually have a physical version of it that I take to my signing so I have that so maybe you felt sorry that I had it on the platform and maybe yeah, I'm not sure okay let's that. give him a benefit of the <laughs> <laughs> okay what is next for Mackenzie in 2022 what is Ooh. next for you well right now I am working on two short stories that are going to be part of a anthology and I'm also working with somebody who knows people to help me possibly green light my series. I have not got to the point where I've gotten people that producer yet to say yes to me yet. I've gotten lots of, I've got, gotten to meet a lot of people and I've gotten lots of good conversations, but I haven't gotten that person yet to say yes. And partially it's because fantasy period fantasy is very, very difficult to get a green light on it just because it's so expensive so mm -hmm. these yeah. things can take 
a long time. So I'm in it for the long haul. I know that type of thing. But I also know that I have my fans are actually, my readers are Doctor Who fans. So I'm looking at European for the British and the Irish to help me find that person who can give me the green light. <laughs> and we wish you good luck with that. Would you like to read to us, Mackenzie? Sure. I'll actually read from the very first chapter. We're talking about Mirta here, where he gets to see that beginnings of his Rider Wands. So chapter one, Draconir Mountain, the Kingdom of Araceli, 1238 CE. Mirta McKinnon. The 12-year-old boy gave a start, hearing his name announced telepathically. Mirta stood up on shaky legs and brushed his brown bang eyes out of his green eyes. The room inside Draconir Mountain was suffocating. Hot springs bubbling up from deep beneath the ground created a dense fog, which pushed down on Mirta's shoulders. Sweat was already dripping from his brow onto his long, dark, royal blue robe. His heart raced as he approached a large wooden door. He occasionally glanced over at others, who were anxiously waiting their turn, wondering which of those he made eye contact would succeed. No matter what happens, no matter what I see, I cannot allow my fears to overcome me. Mirta told himself, I will achieve. Can you speak louder? Louder? I will achieve what I must do. I cannot fail. I won't. I will make mother and father proud. A loud creaking echoed across the room and the ground shook underneath his feet. Two tall wooden doors opened up to a pathway of complete darkness. Step inside, he heard the dragon say. Mirta swallowed hard and expelled air through his mouth. Upon entering the, the pathway, a warm mist rose from below. Water splashed against rocks and occasional water droplets hit his skin. A faint glow shone in the near distance. He walked toward the glow until he found himself in a large circular cavern. In the center of this cavern was a short round pedestal. An opening off towards the right looked like it was open air. And off to the left, it looked like there was a doorway, which was currently closed. Yurta gazed up the source of the glow and caught a glimpse of a magnificent creature standing on a rocky ledge. He could hear his pulse beating in his ears. He felt as if his body was paralyzed, yet he felt unsteady. His own rapid breathing masked the sound of Lord Cater stepping into the light. Mirta gasped, shielding his eyes against the bright yellow light from Lord Cater's wings, trying to conquer his fear. When his eyes adjusted, he noted the ebony veins that traced the pattern, like the rivers in the valley. The veins seemed to pulse with power. Mercator, Mirta uttered, bowing, keeping his eyes averted to the ground. Mercator was the last of his kind, an omniscient, ancient breed of telepathic dragons that had been around for longer than any could remember. The residents of the kingdom looked at him as if he were a god, straight from the stories of old. Mirta, my kitten, rise, he spoke. It is your time to participate in the Rite of Wands, in which your Soul shall face the ultimate analysis. You'll be taken on a journey of your lifetime during portions of your past, present, and future. 
do you uh, see? Yes, Nerda answered, his voice breaking. The Rite of Wands was a tradition among witches and warlocks when they reached their 12th birthday. It was a ceremony which, once completed, would signify their indignation into the magical kingdom, thereby allowing them to start practicing making potions and casting spells. I will not fail. I cannot fail, Nirta recited to himself. Very well, Lord Kato nodded, please. The right of arms shall commence. Roar! Lord Kato lifted his head upward and blew fire from his mouth. Nirta lifted his hands to cover his face. When he heard the sound of the bolts slide open from the other side of the room, Nirta lowered his hands to watch as the door opened with a loud creak. Dragomir will be assisting me with the ritual, Lord Cato said, as he looked towards the warlock who was entering the room. Out stepped the warlock wearing tall black boots, a black tunic with gold lacing, royal blue breeches, and a long-sleeved white linen shirt. His face was hidden behind an orange and golden mask shaped like a dragon's head. The warlock raised his right hand into the air and shouted, Borina Albiat! A lightning bolt crashed down beside him, followed by the sound of drums beating, which gradually became louder until it matched every thump of Myrta's frantic heart. When the door closed behind him, Dragomir walked to the edge of the room and bowed to the dragon. The drum stopped abruptly. The warlock bowed his head toward Myrta. Myrta glanced back, not reassured. His glance may, his appearance may look frightening, but do not fear, Lord Kato continued. I assure you, he is only here to help me perform the magic, which is tiring for me. Now, Mirta, keep your eyes upon mine at all times. You may feel a tingling sensation as I invest your essence. He turned toward the warlock. Dragomir, you may begin. Wand at the ready. Mirta watched Dragomir raise his wand and hold it out towards him. He took in a deep breath. He had heard stories about the right of wands, but it had been forbidden for anyone to discuss specifics of their individual ritual. The little knowledge he had told him the ceremony represented a kind of test before he would either be accepted as a full member of the magical community or not. If he failed, there would not be another chance. He would become a Majulia. A magical person without his or her spells. Okay, great, excellent. Can you announce the details of your book giveaway of the Rite of Wands? Well, I didn't actually have any specifics that I had planned, so I will do whatever somebody wants to do for a free book giveaway here. <laughs> yeah, all you need to do is give out your email address and the first listener who emails you with the podcast giveaway subject line will get a signed copy of your book. So just give us your email. Perfect. So that's easy. So it's going to be MackenzieFloor at gmail.com. So Mackenzie is M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. F-L-O-H-R at gmail.com. Great. All right. Now our parting shots. Mackenzie, you first. You're my guest. Well, parting, parting shots. So 
anybody who may be listening, you are important, you matter, you are important, and you'll get through whatever it is. If, if you're one of those people like me where it's tough to just get through the day, sometimes it's okay to not be okay. That you can overcome whatever it is. That's one of the things about life that's funny is that we have these obstacles thrown at us and that's part of one of our, I guess you could say, fates is that we have to overcome whatever it is in order to become a better person. Part of our existence. Yes. Part of being a human being. Yes. All right, my parting shots. Buy indie, read indie, and write indie. And why not explore small presses like Modern History Press to tell your story, read your local newspaper for inspiration, and support your local Michigan authors. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.